Hello and welcome everyone to Two Real Cinema Club. Uh, I am the man with the cough drop in his mouth. I'll try not to cough too much. My name's Andres Lorente. Uh, and uh, I'm the man ready to admit you to intensive care if it gets worse. Uh, I'm James Rizika. And, uh, Long distance at that. You'll have to call it in uh, from abroad. <laughs> I'll send a helicopter. It'll be fine. Every, every episode we watch... Uh, two movies, uh, a new movie and an old movie, and we try to connect the dots. Uh, and this episode, we've watched the new um, Netflix feature, Windfall, directed by Charlie McDowell, and then uh, compared that to 2004's The Educators, which is a, a German art house movie, relatively successful at the time, but not widely remembered. Um, we're also recording this just a few hours after the Oscars were announced. Um I'm not sure. That, is, is anybody going to remember the Oscars this year? People are just going to remember Will Smith uh, cracking his hand around uh, Chris Rock's face. I nearly said Kid Rock then. Will Smith punching Kid Rock. That, that, <laughs> that I would I, pay to see. That would have been more uh, more rewarding, I think. Yeah, yeah. Very appropriate. Uh, yeah, best slap, Will Smith. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to say I did not pay much attention to it. I'd only seen a couple of films, and we potted about, we think, three or four of them at most. So Yeah, so we'd, I, I loved Licorice Pizza, and it won nothing, Yeah, uh, which which is a bit disappointing. And uh, we did do a pod, though we haven't we haven't released it, about Dune, um, which we both found a bit disappointing. And that only picked up technical and music awards editing, but um, none of the none of the big uh, big gongs. So I wonder. Like it, it won best editing, and I always think about these films that have a lot of uh, CGI. So if they sort of have, the, there's so much more editing involved that they almost have an unfair advantage in the category. I don't remember it as being a wonderfully edited film I, is, uh, from a director's perspective. Surely, editing is one of those arts that works when you don't notice it, isn't it? It's like yeah. you know, flashy editing doesn't necessarily serve the story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's always a, it's it, it strikes me as um as one of those awards that's given to you know a really good film that people enjoyed but did one, win one of the other awards rather than necessarily mm-hmm. once you're singling a film out for good editing it's you know maybe you're you're pointing too hard at the part that's supposed to be invisible. Sure, sure. And then uh, we had talked about Parallel Mothers with Penelope Cruz who was up for a Best Actress. And I you know I, Oscar, I, I didn't even did know one. that she was nominated until I watched the highlights yeah. reel which was solely Chris Rock making jokes cuz I think <laughs> the the joke preceding the joke that offended Will Smith was about Penelope Cruz. So Oh. Um I I do wonder whether whether for um stunts like this uh, was that a spontaneous moment or did have agents made phone calls and planned this out for months? I don't I know. I think it was a spontaneous moment. For I did, I did go back and watch it on uh, YouTube. One day we'll make it, and we'll be able to see whether this whole thing is staged or not. We'll report back. Yeah, yeah. From what I'd seen online, it did not look uh, spontaneous at all. It looked like a. I'm sorry, it did look spontaneous. Like he was really <laughs> reacting to what Chris Brock had said. I'm sorry. <laughs> Head cold still affecting me. I guess. So, uh, so uh, windfall. Um, it's, yeah. the, it's the picture that we watch, which is brand new um, Netflix movie. Um, Directed by Charlie McDowell, who I didn't realise is the son of Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenbergen. Um, yep. Stars Lily Collins, who is the daughter of Phil Collins. You have to ask yourself, how do, how do these people yeah. make their way into the film business? Um, <laughs> it's a... Very easily is the answer <laughs> to that question. Slide right in. So it's been billed on Netflix as a, uh, a Hitchcockian techno thriller. And... I'm not sure I really know what a techno thriller is, but I do feel like a techno thriller should involve 
hacking or um, a gun with a laser mounted on the top of it or um, you know, some kind of clever technology or a spy satellite or something. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that techno thriller is quite the the label that I would apply to it. It's a, a small scale Hitchcockian um, drama set in a single location um, with four unnamed characters. So uh, Jason Siegel is kind of the lead. He plays a guy who's broken into Jesse Plemons's um, holiday cottage. Uh, Jesse Plemons is playing a, an unnamed billionaire CEO um, who comes to the cottage unexpectedly while Jason Siegel is still there. Um, he tries to escape unseen, fails. And so he decides he's going to um, steal some money, steal uh, steal uh, Jesse Plemons's gun, which is uh, Chekhov's gun in this movie. Um, mm. And then when he discovers that he's been recorded on CCTV, um, he thinks twice about escaping with just a few thousand bucks. And he comes back and he demands half a million. Um and then as a result, these three characters, they have 36 hours of waiting for the cash to be delivered while they sit inside a pressure cooker and stare at the walls or stare at each other. Um, a gardener arrives halfway through and, and he remains in the movie for about 10 minutes. And finally, at the end of the movie, when the money arrives, um, there's a bit of argy-bargy and a reversal and a surprise and everything goes to hell. Um, I must say... Uh, it comes in at a tight 90 minutes and uh, especially for the first 20 minutes or so, um, I was really enjoying this movie, but it did arrive in our house at a distinct, definite disadvantage. And the disadvantage was uh, that we in our house, we watched um, North by Northwest about mm. three weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Hitchcock's 1959 picture, the film he made after Vertigo and before Psycho. Um and uh, like all of Hitchcock's films, it's a, it's a, it's a real sort of precision-tooled adventure. Um, very exciting. Great story. And the final 10 minutes of North by Northwest are very much like uh, Windfall, sort of compressed into a tiny little space. So um, at the end of North by Northwest, Cary Grant and Eva Mary Saint and Martin Landau, they're all in this little house which is you know away from uh, out in the middle of nowhere out in the mountains and uh in that 10 minutes there are i would say more surprises and plot twists and reversals and uh, changes of mind and changes of heart and changes of side uh, than there are in the entirety of windfall yeah. and once you've just seen north by northwest you know a pressure cooker movie like this has got to make huge strides to impress you off the back of that 1959 film. So I feel like I'm being a little bit unfair um, to Windfall by watching it straight after Hitchcock's masterpiece. Did you feel like it was 90 minutes well spent? I was surprised at how slow and kind of empty it felt for long passes. Um, so I'm glad it wasn't more than 90 minutes. I think that's one thing to be said for it. That they, that they didn't try to expand it into something more than... Than it could be. It, it sustained my interest for 90 minutes. I was not wowed. I was not really blown away by it, but there were some impressive things about it. So I think if you're watching it on Netflix, it's part of your subscription. You're not paying a bunch of money to see it. And that alone, um, it was a nice evening of entertainment, but 
didn't rock my is, world. Is, no. Yeah, is that enough? Is that enough? It's, it's a shame because I, I was watching it and feeling like the ingredients are all there. It's like, yep. so you've got like these you know, four characters, one location, it's all compressed time span. It all happens over a day and a half. Yeah. You know, the stakes are clear. Um, yep. You know, it's got this tight runtime. It feels like you know, it has all the ingredients to become, you know, a very satisfying little low budget thriller and a, a showcase for the actors. Um, yeah, but I I I feel like the reason that I'm disappointed actually is because the script just comes across as a bit underdeveloped. There were, I mean, I agree with you. That there are some fun, uh, memorable scenes. There's this uh, great scene where where Jesse Plemons complains about how um, being a you know a white guy billionaire is is mm. so hard. It's like he's got a target painted on his back, and everyone's yeah. out to get him. You know, you, yeah. he has this kind of poor rich white man scene. Um, yeah, which is great and, and and well played, and I see what you mean about the it being kind of surprisingly sort of quiet and plodding at start. But I I kind of quite enjoyed that restraint. That's that's one mm. of those things that I've, is clearly emerging as one of my favourite characteristics in cinema. It, it is a kind of a restrained, silent opening. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I kind of enjoyed that, but at the end of the yeah. uh, but at the end of the day, um, yeah. I don't think that was enough. No, and I think um, I think this film does what it was designed to do. I think pretty well. I think you you were talking about it um, as if it's a chamber piece. We used to call this a chamber piece. It's very small cast, um, super low budget. The thing that I that it screamed to me from the beginning was this is a pandemic film. Ah, the, yeah, the, isn't the, it? The crew's really small. They're off in this remote location. It's only four actors, so they did what they could during a pandemic. I think. Um, you know, it, it may have been developed quickly because they thought they could do this, or maybe it was in the book somewhere, someone was going to make it, and then this seemed like the perfect time. There are four writers credited, which always is a red flag for me, one of whom is uh, Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Sleepy Hollow and Seven. Seven, He's got yeah. Quite a, yeah, so it seems like he came in maybe to polish it towards the end or something, but there are four writers. Jason Siegel's one of them. So when you get a lot of you, you, some, sometimes that can be great. You get a lot of different eyes reading scripts and and drafts, and it can get better and better. Sometimes it might be just because the original vision isn't that clear. Um, so I I saw it as being brilliant in the sense that you go out and you make a pretty good film under difficult circumstances. I thought the music was phenomenal. I loved the score to this. It was sort of this um, small chamber orchestra kind of doing creepy, moody, jazzy cabaret stuff that was. Really effective. I like that a lot. It must have been so effective that I have no recall whatsoever of the music, actually. That probably shows that the music really worked, but I cannot recall it it, at all. It was good. And I think it was trying... You're you're right about the Hitchcockian thing, and it's interesting they put that in their publicity materials, because it it felt like it was trying to be very Hitchcockian. Um, But it's not going to compare to North by Northwest. It's a high bar to clear, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So it's hard for you to watch that and then go watch Windfall. Um, There's a, but Hitchcock made some terrible films too. That's the other thing. You know, you go back back and watch Frenzy or uh, yeah, yeah, uh, okay. Marnie or um, Zapata. He made some pretty bad films. So, <laughs> but we um, oh, we remember the good ones. I don't, yeah, I, um, the good ones. I mean, you're right that quite not quite enough happens. I kind of felt like even for a 90 minute runtime, there was about 45 minutes worth of story, and yeah. then and then you know a, a bit of chit chat in between, which I think. You know, the, the people making the film hoped would be philosophical and enlightening and challenging and clever. And but I kind of don't think it is. I was struggling to try and think what the theme of the movie is. And it looks superficially like it's trying to offer an opinion about wealth. 
but I don't think it does. I think all of the characters involved um, uh, don't have a particularly moral opinion about wealth. I think maybe it's about the danger of greed, um, yeah. but certainly there doesn't seem to be much of a clash of ideology in the film, even when Jason Segel um, condemns Jesse Plemons's company, which seems to be some kind of electronic management consultancy. I'm not entirely sure what it is that his company does. It seems like he's come up with a formula that lets companies make people redundant. And now, if, if there is a formula that does that, I'm sure people will be able to make redundancies without resorting to a formula. But um, yeah. even though he, he makes a few condemnatory remarks about Jesse Plemons' company and, and job losses, um, all of the characters in the film are interested in half a million dollars um, and nobody is trying to take any moral high ground. Um, it also feels superficially like it may have something to say about about white wealthy people and minorities because the, the guy who turns up, uh, who is the gardener, is a, a Latinx guy who um, it was, it's kind of very much an, an underdog. But I, um, I think... The, the term for what they do for him to him is fridge him, isn't it? I think he turns up and then 10 minutes later, you know, he's killed um, yeah. in such a way that we can all feel bad for him. Um, and this is supposed to be like you know, a, a, a bit of a metaphor or maybe a motivator for the characters. Um, but it, it's uh, the death of this guy is all about how the white people in the film perceive him and perceive his death. He is a character has no real agency. He's effectively a prop. Who, yeah. you know, who turns up and then accidentally gets dropped and broken after 10 minutes yeah. um, and then is utterly forgotten by the end. His arrival and his death do nothing, I think, to change the plot or the outcome. I think yeah. I sort of do feel like the, the gardener is um, a device to add 20 minutes of running time to the film without changing any mm. of the major plot elements. And yeah. in a film that hopes to wear the clothes of you know, a little bit of political activism and a little bit of social consciousness. Yeah. Um, it's you know this is kind of a you know a betrayal of that part of the audience I think that's pretty pretty disappointing I thought it was pretty shoddy. Yeah, when he showed up, I you know first brown person in the film, I thought okay now finally someone can die. It was that, <laughs> I mean, it was that obvious? I could see it coming. Uh, yeah, so they haven't they haven't made too much of a progress there, um, and he's treated very badly very quickly. And it's right after a point where I think uh, nobody, which is Jason Siegel's character, says to the CEO. Um, that his his work, his invention or whatever it was, development, uh, makes like difficult for others or gets other people killed. <laughs> and I think, I think the whole idea there was there was a reversal in the sense of well maybe Jason Siegel, maybe you are you know about to get someone killed, and sure enough it happens. Um, it's yeah, it's about a lot of sloppy behavior. It's got some some great Gatsby moments in the sense of like the the rich will just do anything, and it doesn't matter what happens to the people under yeah. them or poorer yeah. than there. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of that in there, um, but yeah, it's not as it's not that strong in that. I think, and when we talk about the educators, it, it's maybe too strong. It's, these films kind of balance each other out in that way, in the sense that um, it was in there. There's a lot of sort of exposition, just talking about what he's done, but not really telling us exactly what he's done. I guess um, so. There are very few details in uh, um, sort of an exposition-heavy act too. I mean, when you when you've got p people just stranded in a house. Um, waiting for the money to be uh, delivered, 
I think you're playing with fire because it's going to be boring if they're really just waiting there. Um, so if they're not, if there's not something more exciting about the the tension between them all, or um, you know, an, an escape uh, uh, attempt or something like that, you, you're kind of playing with some dull time. And I think a fair bit of that gets eaten up by some exposition around the fire and then around the the sofas. So I mean, this is brilliant in the sense that this is a great. I don't think it's our first film for Charlie McDowell, but it's it's got the setup. You know, you've got one location, so you're not worried about doing a lot of special effects or moving around. It's a chamber piece. You've got a limited number of actors, so it's a great uh, low-budget or early filmmaker film. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not super tense throughout, and it's really not that um, well-written. I agree with you there. kind of feels to me, it really reminds me of um, a student film, and that's not to disparage... Yeah. You know, this film or student films, but it has that feeling of, um, or, you know, my uncle has a nice property out of town. No one's there for two weeks. You know, I'm going to go there with a camera and a couple of lights and three friends and, you know, let's make a film. Um, And that's kind of what it it feels like. After watching the film, I was kind of going over it in my head and just imagining what steps they could have taken just to improve the story. It's like if only the gardener, you had attempted to do something. Then, you know, then maybe yeah. he could have graduated to actually being a proper character and changed the story. Or maybe, yes. you know, the wife, you could, there's a, a bit of a hint that she will kind of switch sides, but maybe she could like really properly switch sides and then switch back and you know, make you think, you know, was she just pretending before or, you know, who, yeah. is, she, who is she really going to, to, to team up with? Even yeah. even just something about the motivations of the, the characters that, um, that uh, Jason Segal, I almost called him Steven Segal there, um, which would make it that a very different film. That would have been a film. good addition I, to this film. I have just discovered what would improve this film. So, <laughs> Jason Segal. You can't, you can't say that too often about a film either. <laughs> what this film means is Steven Segal. I was feeling a little bit like that. You know, the, the, the reason that he he stays and asks for money you know, it's first of all, because he's kind of, you know, he's he's caught yeah. and he's a bit sheepish and, and sort of feels like he can't sneak out without being seen. And then he yeah. realizes he's been caught on CCTV, so he's going to be caught and, and sort of found. Um, and I sort of felt like that felt like there could be some stronger motivation. I was wondering whether Thank you. Yeah. instead, you know, he got away scot-free, but chooses to return because of something that he hears Jesse Plemons say, or yes. you know, if there's kind of some hint in the, his personality for him to make a choice, which isn't just simple self-preservation, I think that will make it a tremendously more interesting story and yeah. give the characters a little bit of proper depth rather than it just being three people who like money, you know, meet, meet near an orange grove. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Cause that's exactly um, what I wrote down at the end of act one. I said, He's recorded on the security camera, but what big deal? Just drive off. <laughs> and I had no idea where it would be. You know, he had a little score there. He had 5,000 bucks or something like that. Go. Yeah, just go. So yeah, the, exactly. the drawback, um, I, you know, I think they do a, a nice job at one point when, because of her reaction when she sees him in the house, the wife, I feel like the wife was in on it for a little while. So that kind of right. maintained me a little while. There's a little tension. And then, you know, he, the writers bring up tension a little bit when sort of all these crevices sort of start to form between various characters, and the wife's really not that interested in uh, the CEO, her husband. Um, and she sides with the, the with Jason Siegel's character, the nobody character, and actually does the, the negotiating for him, getting the, the, the ransom money up and up and up. Um, so there are these little fissures that seem like they're going to get kind of interesting, but they don't really take them very far, and, and I just couldn't even believe why he would have gone back to the house in the first place. So, and, and that just sort of... 
sort of lets you down a little bit. And they are playing with comedy a little bit. There's some lovely comic touches in there, but it does sort of make you feel uneasy. Is this supposed to be uh, funny, or how how seriously are we supposed to take this guy as a, a kidnapper or a a thief? Because he's focused on him tying his shoes all the time. Yeah. And they're just these odd touches that are comic so they we know that we're really never in danger until the end and honestly i felt like the end took this this easy way out which was a little bit more violent than i think it needed to be and um it just felt odd it felt really odd uh, as an ending and i was not satisfied by the ending so and it's not what, worth waiting 90 minutes for if it doesn't fit the rest of the story yeah, so. yeah. in fact i'm listening thinking back to it now um listening to you explain it does feel a little bit like you know the ending came from one pen where the rest of the yeah. movie came from a different one. Um, yeah. So uh, maybe it has that disjointed reason because you know, it's disjointed writers. It's a shame and it feels like we've got talented performers, great opportunity. Yeah. You know, here's a chance to make something. Yeah. Like you say, for a low budget in the pandemic, but just a little bit more work on the script. And I think this could have been something, you know, exceptional. Um, but then, you know, we're, we're writers, so we will always say that about every project. We will. <laughs> um, and we'll so, probably ne- never write anything better than what we see. So <laughs> we have no reason to complain. <laughs> Basically, the, the short answer is we would have written it better. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, let's, well, let's have a break. That was Windfall, yes. uh, which is Netflix's new feature. Um, still worth seeing. Um, Hitchcockian, maybe. Techno, no. Thrilling a bit. Um, we'll have a break and we will come back and talk about a film from uh, 2004 made in Germany, The Educators. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Jimmy and I also watched a German film from 2004 called The Educators from a director, Hans Weingartner. And I didn't know any of his other films, so I just did a quick search on uh, uh, the IMDb. Um, I did know Daniel Bruhl, who was in, uh, he had a role in Inglorious Bastards and a, a nice film that I saw probably 12, 15 years ago called Goodbye Lenin. Yeah, I think, I think um, that was his film immediately before this, actually. Okay, I think so. Oh, which which one? Um, uh, Goodbye, Goodbye Lenin. Yeah, it's probably yeah. Seems about right. In, in our house, he's um, he's famous at the moment because he is in um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which oh, which yes, we've just been watching great. the last couple of weeks. So oh, good. Um, yeah, so so that's uh. why you know, we we are aware of him at the moment. Yeah, so he gets work. He's popular. Um, feels a bit like a Clockwork Orange, and I think Windfall was supposed to be a little Clockworky Orange yeah, okay. or Orangey too. I'm not sure, but uh, it follows um, Daniel's character uh, Jan and uh, a couple of his friends, Yule, who's a woman who's involved with uh, Jan's uh, housemate. Was he Peter? I want to say Peter. Yeah, Peter. Peter. And Jan and uh, Peter are sort of involved in. A sort of vandalism. They call themselves the educators. They go into the homes of super rich people and they don't really steal anything, but they do something that uh, 
Boy, when I was a teenager, we called constructive vandalism. <laughs> if that makes any sense, we aspired to be constructive vandalists. We thought we'd we'd go into homes and and uh, do random acts of kindness, you know, so clean the house for them or do something odd, rearrange it. So that's what kind of what these guys do wait, is wait, they just so, sort of so, pile things up. Wine, wine bank. You actually did that as a teenager. We had talked about. <laughs> it. I sort of got into trouble one night. We got in trouble one night. Um, breaking into uh, one of our best friends' house. They were on vacation, so we went into the house just to uh, do a little partying, a little drinking or whatnot, and then uh, we were spied by the neighbors. But then we, uh, we thought, okay, we're going to tell them. We, we went in to actually stack wood for them because we actually used to do that. <laughs> Didn't get anywhere, so we just got in trouble. But uh, we, we, we like to think of ourselves as constructive vandalists, and that's what Jan and Peter sort of are. They are really... Um, uh, either financially or philosophically, ethically uh, opposed to capitalism and its consequences. The film sort of opens after one of these scenes of uh, constructive vandalism with um, uh, Yule on the street. She's uh, working on a petition drive to sort of close sweatshops in Asia or bring more attention to them. And this is kind of uh, where they are. So it felt like a good like late 90s, early 2000s uh, film in that way, definitely um, uh, in the zeitgeist, if, if you, as yeah. you will. Um, Peter, he's into it philosophically, but he also seems to like to steal some things once in a while too. So he leaves the premises sometimes with a watch in this, uh, in one case in the early part of the film. And Jan is really a purist. He just wants to, uh, make the wealthy feel uncomfortable and feel scared in their own surroundings. Um, Peter and Yule are together as a couple. Would it be Julie, do you think, or Julie? Yule, I think, I, I think Yule is that's what has, how I heard yeah. it. Okay. So Peter and Yule are together, but then Peter has to go to Barcelona and Yule can't go. So Jan sort of hooks up with uh, Julie. They develop a connection when they're helping her move out of her apartment. She's basically broke because of a, an auto accident that she got into at one point. Um, and then Jan sort of lets her into the fact that he's the educators. Apparently they've got sort of this underground reputation already. They've been in the news and he tells her that they are, that he and Peter are the educators, and she wants to see a house that they're going to try and get into. But it turns out she remembers that the guy whose car she ruined and who has since ruined her life with enormous debt because she has to pay him back for his Mercedes or whatnot that, he, that she crashed into, uh, he lives nearby. So they actually go into the house. They do an educator's uh, Work up on the house, throwing a sofa into a swimming pool, jumping in, kissing, staying longer than they should. And they eventually have to go back to that house to, to retrieve a, a lost, a forgotten item. And they get in trouble because the owner returns. And then we have another kidnapping. <laughs> um, so we have another. It's similar, of course, to a Windfall in the sense that... Uh, they end up in the country or, in the, I guess, in the high Alps somewhere. It's yeah, Austrian they, Alps, I think, yeah. Again, so maybe the filmmakers had, had an in with the... <laughs> yeah, an uncle with a, with a cottage, a perfect yeah. Cabin. Yep, so let's write a script for it. I mean, I've done the same thing, so I think uh, it's brilliant. Uh, you're working with what you have, yeah, which is what, uh, what you have. very good. Um, as they get up there, um, they they sort of start to bond with, um, I think they call him Hardy. He's Hard, uh, Hardenberg, Hardy Hard, I think, yeah. Hardenberg. And they, when they start calling him Hardy, you realize, oh, they kind of <laughs> like this guy a little bit. Turns out that he was, they smoke a joint with him, they're drinking wine, they're making dinner for him. Um, you start to see people differently. I think that's, this film does have a, some pretty good themes, I think, and in the sense that we assume people are a certain way and um, maybe they're different from what we think originally. 
so it turns out he was he lived in a commune himself. He's now a capitalist, of course, but I forget what he did. I don't remember what his job was, but you know, he made lots of money. Yeah. He made they said oh he claimed to make two hundred thousand euros a year. I think he actually made what they said was three point four million. Yeah. Um but he used to be um like them. He's about early fifties, but they start to like him. He's and he starts to like um being unburdened, being up in the mountains with these guys, even though they've got a gun at him all the time. Um he he feels unburdened and even says so much. There's one point where he looks like he's going to escape, but he's actually just going out to get a good view, and he bonds a little bit more with Peter um, and uh, tells Peter, confesses that he feels like very free and unburdened out there. Um, similar to Windfall, there's some tensions because now uh, Yula and Jan are together, and Peter's sort of finding it out. He's piecing it together, and Hardy's helping him piece it together. Uh, Peter actually leaves the kidnapping at one point only to return. Um, and uh, towards the end, uh, they sort of just get Hardy back home. It says, you know, he says he's not, he's going to cancel the debt that Eula had with him and that he won't turn them in. <laughs> it's a wonderful, I actually like this ending. It took me a little while to figure it all out, but yeah. I kind of like this ending is that he ends up indeed uh, sort of calling the police on them, but they have. Um, Left that apartment. They've ended up in Spain where Jan has this idea to wipe out some telecommunications uh, by attacking some antennas on this private island or something. And uh, they've left a note. And they, they do this in all the houses. They leave a note saying, your time of plenty is soon to end, yeah, something like something that. Like that. Yep, yep. Um, but this time they've left a note saying some people will never change, something like that. Yeah. That's what it was. And it's kind of, it, it was the idea that uh, Hardy had sort of, even though he was briefly, uh, I don't know, re reunited with his younger self and uh, his less capitalist self, he kind of goes in and turns them in anyway. But And also that they haven't changed. They're, there's this you know point where they're, they're yeah. just in their early 20s. You're thinking maybe they're going to change, but they don't change either. But they have escaped the scene, so the police find nothing. Yeah, you're right. I assume that that note solely referred to, to Hardy. Um, yeah. Who, who is I who is I think a great character actually he's kind of ambiguous and complex and manipulating yeah. and you know multi-layered he's a terrific character and I assume that note yeah. simply re revealed their thoughts about him but you're right the note applies to them as well because they also yeah. you know they, they um it's not that they are unchanged but they uh, they've retained their principles and their yeah. their kind of moral center yeah, and one of the lines that I written down, one of the last lines, and this is perhaps why I thought that way, is because uh, one of the last lines that I written down was the best ideas survive. Oh yeah. So they they felt like the quality of their ideas was stronger than his, and they were going to go on. He probably felt the quality of his ideas after growing up, uh, growing older, um, that his ideas were stronger, so that they would survive. Um, so, just some general impressions. Uh, the Amazon. Uh, version of this was not very it didn't look very good on our screen i don't know what that was well i, um, I, think, I think originally it, it was just shot in standard definition digital video okay so this, this okay. is this is one of those films just absolutely of this time yeah um, so there, there's going to be you know historically looking back like a, a seven or eight year period when digital cameras were just about good enough to film a movie on but yeah. not good enough to film a movie that still looks okay on a 4k screen now yeah. Um, okay. So that, yeah. So that it makes looks, sense. It, um, so I mean, some of the low light photography is fine, and it has a you know, specific feel. But yeah, I, I think a lot of that is due to the the cheap standard yeah. equipment that they used. And I felt yeah, it felt it feels like he embraced that though because um, it's largely handheld. Mm -hmm. There's definitely um, there's some establishment shots which are 
Um, they sort of counter the unsteadiness of the youth. They seem to be like a lot of handheld shots there, but then if it's a, a beautiful rich person's house, it seems to be a really yeah, solid yeah. shot. It was an interesting thing. Like they're literally more established shots than um, than the things with the young people. Um, and there's some there's some there's some jump cuts, I guess, that kind of leave you wondering about the if that was intentional or if they just had to edit it that way. But I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, there were some talky spells that that kind of fall into the exact type of um, like theoretical talk and no action stereotypes that so the film kind of gets tracked uh, trapped into its own uh, philosophical musing sometimes um, so that was uh, I thought a one little downer I thought it was just a maybe a bit too talky and I'm gonna shout out to my old mentor Philip Palmer at uh, at London Film School because I had a lot of politics in, in the script that I was working on at the time and he said, look, you just have to avoid it in film. It just doesn't really work. It's not exciting. People don't want to hear people talking <laughs> about their political philosophies on film and I think he's kind of right. Um, but at, at least but, here it's not just talk though, is it? So these are yeah, characters who, you know, they um, they express their politics through action yeah, as well as talking. Which is Precisely. kind of different, different to Windfall, where you know what po- political element there is to that is is largely talky. I yeah. t- one of the big differences you're talking about making a film of its time. One of the big differences that stood out for me between the educators and yeah. Windfall is that um, you know, the educators um, sees the characters focus on society, while in Windfall, I think the characters focus on the individual. So the, um, the the characters in the, in the ed- educators, whether it's the rich guy or the poor kids, you know, they're talking about the wider world and how they perceive it and yeah. their place in it. Whereas all of the characters in Windfall, are, you know, effectively, they they ignore the wider world and they're kind of just interested in in themselves and maybe how they relate to the other people in the house. But they, I don't think the film is interested in society or the world. Um, the wider world around the film. And that does feel like a difference between the world of 2022 and, mm-hmm. and the world of the turn of the century. Um, this whole idea of, you know, it, it reminds me of Occupy Wall, Wall Street, um, this yeah. film. And it, is that still a thing? That's not something I've seen in the news for a long time. I, I don't know whether that was something that kind of died out after 9-11. Is Occupy Wall, Wall Street still a, a, a political force? Not really, no. It's been absorbed into more the Democratic Party a little bit, and that's kind of why the Democratic Party is just kind of too wide and too broad for its own uh, effectiveness right now, I think. Um, but I think you hit it right on the on the nail. And I think it's also um, perhaps a little difference between uh, German idealism and American idealism. Ah, yeah. 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 It's much more me-focused in the American film, and uh, I think the solidarity and the, the political cause is a bit clearer in the educators for sure yeah it's a european sensibility i guess you're yeah, right yeah it's yeah it's nice um there are some great scenes in this film actually yeah i mean i you know i do remember discussing marks in the cabin but the the the, the, the break-ins uh, are really exciting there's real mm. tension it's feel of discovery and it has this um you know kind of semi-documentary feel with the shaky cam and yeah. mixing it well uh, mixing the footage in with cctv footage and the the romance that blossoms between Yan and Yule mm-hmm. while they're doing this really exciting break in, it just feels so real and believable. It's really sort of tangible. Um I think it's you know, it's beautifully portrayed. There I've what I've my little note I've written on my sheet here is that mm-hmm. they look like they are living 
it's this believable love triangle and um oh yeah you know, there's great chemistry between the actors um which makes it such a pleasure to watch actually it's really it's not just a film about ideas the film does really respect the characters and their you know their inner lives and their emotional lives yeah so and some great lines to support some of the themes um Jan says at one point, use fear as a motor, do things you never dared to do. Yeah. And I think that's the, the excitement that comes out in that one break-in scene with uh, Yule is right there. You can feel the energy. We were like, no, get out, get out, you've got to get out. Why are you? I mean, we were, we were in that scene with them and we felt the fear too, which was, uh, you know, a mark of uh, some good filmmaking. Yeah. Um, what Hardy says at one point, I didn't invent the gun, but I pulled the trigger. Like... <laughs> <laughs> he, got, he got dragged into capitalism, and he's making it go farther, but it's, it wasn't his idea, so he's passing the blame on to his uh, predecessors, I think. Um, and you know, then, I've, yeah, go ahead. I've written down some quotes as well, which is, um, I think it's like, you know, everything you have, you stole, is, I think, uh, yeah. something that Yule tells him, which is, you know, lovely to see a little bit of marks come out yeah. right there yeah. on the screen. And, <laughs> um, and then... Um, Cut his uh, Hardy's riposte to that. He says everyone has the same chances, yeah. which is like that sort of Jordan Peterson philosophy, isn't it? About all oh, e- equality of opportunity, which is you know, which is now kind of like a a modern kind of alt right sort of idea, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. actually, oh. these these ideas are still contemporary and still discussed they you know, are. in the in the the modern twenty twenty two Twitter sphere. This film yeah, is yeah. not historical; it it's actually still still very contemporary. And then help me with the. The title comes from this one line, one discussion. Um, I, th- I wrote down "reach one and teach one hundred, or is it "teach one and reach one hundred? Yeah. So, and it seems like it's happening. That's the thing: is that Hardy's sort of coming around to them. They feel like they reach him, and then he's going to pass that on. So, the idea is that if you can get this lesson to one person, it's going to actually reach a lot more people. And I don't know if it even matters which way you say it, but um, I think it was reach one and teach 100. And and Hardy's, it seems like he's on their side. He goes back to his own home. He sits around, has a few contemplative glasses of wine and smokes a few joints or whatever. And then all of a sudden he's back on the dark side. <laughs> like it's um, like, yeah, it's like, it's like a holiday. It's yeah. ho- a holiday in Mark's land, isn't it? Yeah. For a week for him. Yeah. <laughs> So there's there's a lot of wonderful idealism and then there's a lot of harsh and wonderful uh, realism in this film and I, I liked it I really did it was at two two hours nine minutes maybe a little long but it didn't you know it wasn't dragging or anything no, like that oh yeah absolutely I think it clips and, along as and there's, yeah there's real excitement and there's real heart real passion one question I find it my found myself asking was at the end of the film I felt I really loved it and I was asking myself why wasn't there an English language remake of this film oh, but yeah. do you think there could be an American version of this film or do you think Actually, that's kind of not possible. It's not possible to tell this story in the U.S. Great question. I mean, when after you suggested this one paired with Windfall, I thought, well, is Windfall the same film? And it's just not. And in part because it's the motivations are really different, I think, for the characters in the two films. Um, you'd have to really cut a lot of the politics out on one level or another, I think. Um, but it, it could work. I think in the right hands it could work. I'm just trying to think how I mean, it would I- be different. Do feel like the people who made Windfall must have seen the educators? Yeah, because they, they are so congruent. It's like you yeah. know, it's they're, they're, they're basically they they both films have four characters. Yeah, both films have you know one guy with a gun. They both yeah. have one wealthy guy. They both have yeah. one woman. They I yeah. mean they, they feel like they have so much in common, and yet you know at their core, the the basic ideas are really quite different. Yeah, it's it's you know two interesting takes on similar themes, but yeah. yeah 
It's almost like their conclusions couldn't be more different, in fact. They feel diametrically opposed. Exactly, exactly. Like I don't know whether that is a sign of the thinking of the filmmakers or a wider sign of, of how public thinking has changed in the world in the last 20 years. Yeah. I think you've sort of answered your own question, is that Windfall might be the remake. Maybe Jason Siegel and Jesse Plemons or Charlie McDowell were onto something, they'd seen it, they said, hey, we can do this. But it's interesting, the body count is much higher in Windfall. <laughs> the American version is necessarily more violent and fatal uh, than the, the German version. You're right. It's, in fact, percentage-wise, the body count is astonishing, isn't it? Yes. Windfall. <laughs> It's proper Hamlet. And the other thing is, uh, in, in, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's an old film. If you haven't seen it, too bad. Um, (laughs) Doesn't Peter even say, this is not a real gun, basically, in the movie? No one (laughs) will be killed in this film. It's spelled out for you. It's wonderful, (laughs) actually. I mean, it's a fake gun. I forget what it is. It's like, it's either, it's busted or something like that. It's, I think, but, yeah, so isn't it like it's an air pistol and it's broken? Something yeah. like that. So it's like two reasons why it can't <laughs> kill somebody. It's wonderful. <laughs> so it ain't Chekhovian at all. Boy. Uh, but a great little touch there. I do wonder whether, yeah, fun though it is to recommend The Educators, this is a film which is going to disappear quite quickly simply because of the way that it was made. I think yeah. Unless, unless there is a new effective way to upscale this old standard def digital footage, then I think there is a tranche of films um, from this era uh, which are you know going to fade away and be forgotten, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. I, I haven't seen this film on the big screen. I slightly dread to think what it would look like blown up onto a, you know enormous cinema screen. It's, yeah, visually, it, it's uh, quite pixely to watch these days. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame if that is the factor which stops it reaching a, an audience uh, my last little note here i wrote feels like a film that should be shown in schools um and you know even though well, there's a bit of sex and there's a bit of drug taking but you know i i would be happy for my children to watch the educators i think it would be you know interesting to hear what they thought about it maybe i'll give that a try actually yeah you should uh, make it family movie night <laughs> hey kids watch this german movie with sex in it <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, <laughs> so that has been the Two Real Cinema Club. Uh, this episode, uh, thank you for joining us. We have watched Windfall, which is on Netflix all around the world, and we have watched uh, The Educators, spelt with a K, um, but directed by Heinz Feingartner, which you can find uh, on Amazon. It's a little bit difficult to track down on streaming services, but it can be found and it's worth digging out. Agreed. Uh, Thank you for joining us, as always, uh, and we will see you next episode. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.